From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihera Zozan. Khalil Bendib will be back next week. On Monday, September 25th, Iraqi Kurds defied the regional and international pressure and voted in a historic referendum, which is seen as a path towards an independent Kurdish state. The Iraqi government harshly responded to the referendum and then the, its results. I think this reaction can be also understood in two sections. One is the reactions or the measures targeting the Kurdistan region, and the other one the reaction and the measures targeting the disputed areas, or what Kurds call Kurdistani areas. The areas which have significant Kurdish populations, not necessarily majority, but significant Kurdish population, and which also happen to exist outside of the current Kurdistan region, and most prominently Kirkuk, because of its rich oil field. This week, we bring you the second part of our interview with Dr. Firat Bozcali, who has done extensive research on the political economy and geography of a state formation in the Turkish border zones. We'll speak with him about the regional and international reactions to Kurdish referendum. Later in the show, we bring back an interview with Saeed Shambezadeh, the leader of Shambezadeh Ensemble, which performs the traditional music and dance of Boucher, a city located in the southwestern part of Iran in the Persian Gulf. Stay with us. In a referendum held on September 25th, the voters in Iraqi Kurdistan voted overwhelmingly in favor of independence for the Kurdistan region. The Electoral Commission said 92% of the 3.3 million people who cast their ballots supported secession. Since the vote is non-binding and will not lead automatically to independence, what is the significance of this referendum? Shahram Aramir spoke with Dr. Firat Bozjali, an anthropologist who's done extensive research about the political economy and geography of a state formation in the Turkish border zones. In the second part of the interview, the conversation focused on regional and international players and their reaction to this historic referendum. I would like to get into the role of regional powers leading up to this referendum and in the aftermath of this election. But before we go there, when we look at the conditions prior to this election, the post-2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq, oil-rich Iraqi Kurdistan underwent an economic boom, drawing in international investors. Uh, there was massive construction and tourism was thriving for some years, for several yeah. years. But for the past few years, Iraqi Kurdistan has been experiencing rapidly increasing food prices and power cuts. Kurdish regional government, KRG, has failed to pay the salaries of the almost 1.4 million public sector workers. The salaries have been cut by up to uh, 75%. And KRG is now up to $30 billion in debt by mm-hmm. some estimates. And this is for a population of 5 million. <laughs> That's, That's quite a bit. These economic conditions have led to mass social unrest and demonstrations. How did we get here in terms of the economy? What are the causes of this economic crisis? 
Do you think the decision to hold this referendum might have been driven by the economic crisis and the ensuing social discontent? Sure, yeah, definitely. I think one way to answer or think about that option or that question is with what argument Iraqi Kurdish leadership called for this referendum, especially regarding to the Iraqi politics or the local politics. The argument for the referendum is that, look, we were doing great, but we are now failing because the Iraqi central government is failing. They are not giving us our they're, share of the... Yeah, Europe. number one is they're not giving us the funding that we are entitled to get. It's also our constitutional right to get 17% of the oil revenues to the Iraqi Kurdistan. But they have also signed contracts with the oil companies independent of... Yeah, that's the solution that we find to right. bypass that. But in, they said that the initial blame is with the Iraqi central government right. that they withheld our share. So that's number one. Number two, the central Iraqi government is so non-functioning that it couldn't really protect the... Iraqi territory that we saw fall of Mosul overnight. And it was central Iraqi government's responsibility to protect the city of Mosul, but they lost it overnight. And that created a stability to the Iraqi Kurdistan region. I mean, all these people forced to leave the Mosul and they had this flow of the refugees in, into the Iraqi Kurdistan. Into the Iraqi Kurdistan from other parts of Iraq. And they said that we had also this financial burden, burden yes. because of that. The Iraqi Kurdish uh, leadership's argument is that, look, Iraq is not functioning, we are functioning, but because of that, they are functioning so badly, we're also failing. That's how, actually, the Iraqi Kurdish leadership sees it and how legitimized the referendum. The problem in this argument, which is true, I mean, the Iraqi Kurdistan region have difficulties or hardships due to the non-functioning Iraqi central government, but this argument by itself hides the corruption and the waste of resources at the hand of the Iraqi Kurdish leadership. That's actually how the Iraqi Kurdish opposition responds to Iraqi Kurdish leadership, basically Mesut Barzani and his political party, saying that, look, you have vested all these resources and uh, these resources that we have through the oil economy and we became like a typical rentier state, which is like mostly corrupt and patronage and clientelistic relations developed. And most of the people excluded from this wealth that you generate by using our people's resources. And 1.4 million people in the public sector, that that yeah, almost looks like a handout structure. Yeah, I mean, in 2007-9, they were like giving wages to the families. They employ people in different public sectors. And yeah, 1.4 million, it is definitely, yeah, it's like inflated. It's a young population, right? Yeah. And then 5.3 million total of people living there 1.4 million people work in the public sector. Well, the state itself becomes the main actor and distributor of the wealth in the region, and it may not be a problem in itself, but the problem really appears when the access to the state sources also depends on your connection with the political elite. Maybe 1.4 million officers or 1.4 million people live on the state wages. And some of them are evidently were phantom employees. In other words, they were double-dipping. They were collecting salaries on two yeah, jobs. Yeah, that's, that's the case. And they realized that they actually created a big problem, especially the security problem with the ISIS crisis, because they realized that the number of Peshmergas didn't exist. They're like, it's the phantom yes. Peshmergas that they receive wages, but they are not there, or they Do, are doing other things. Does it look like they have problems paying their Peshmergas? Yeah, the the, Kurdish fighters. Yeah, they they have wages. So that yeah. could be... Uh, the, yeah, definitely. It's a big thing. That, that's a menace to yeah. their rule. 
Let's talk about the Kurdish issue in a broader context yeah. beyond Iraq, as you Kur- mentioned. Kurdistan at large. Exactly. So it's clear that political parties across these borders in different nations, in different states, they do not agree on a lot of points, right? In fact, in the mid-90s, the Iraqi Kurdistan Democratic Party, mm-hmm. KDP, was fighting PKK, Kurdistan Workers' Party in Turkey. In those days, the Iraqi Kurdistan Democratic Party even allowed the Turkish military to occupy positions on the Iraqi side of the border in order to quell and PKK. And Turkish army still keep most of those positions. You have all these different yeah. discourses, you know, in Kurdistan. Yeah. If you go beyond Iraqi Kurdistan, how are these differences going to play out? In this vision of a yeah. Kurdish nation and a state. Well, right now, in the Kurdish political sphere and Kurdistan at large, we see two leading paradigms which are in competition with each other and also in huge disagreement. At the one side, we have more like a traditional nation-state, more like a central right, politically central right perspective to achieve a Kurdish nation-state in different contexts, which is sort of represented mainly by the Mesut Barzani and his political party, KDP. And at the other side, we have this vision that denies achieving a nation-state, instead organizing Kurdistan into the local autonomies and connecting these autonomous regions through a confederal system without necessarily changing the national borders. And this perspective is mainly endorsed or represented by the imprisoned leader of PKK, Abdul Hocalan. So we have this sort of KDP versus more like a center-right and more traditional nation-state-based political vision versus more like a this autonomous leftist inspired from more like an anarchistic ideas, Öcalan and, or PKK. And PYD in Syria is also yeah, part of a model of self-autonomy and democratic co-federalism, right? Yeah. They are not emphasizing this idea of a separation as a state. Or achieving a nation achieving state. Achieving a nation state. That's yeah, definitely. I'm Actually, right now with this PYD in Syria and this, again, de facto Kurdish region emerging there and Iraqi Kurdistan region and Iraqi Kurdistan regional government, we also see these two paradigms having their own showcase or their own concrete examples to showcase their political vision. And I think they are both hardships and difficulties and complications involved in each case. But definitely we can see these two paradigms in competition with each other. And I think we can talk about what they agree on and what they disagree on generally. I think what they agree on is that Kurdish sovereignty. Self-determination. Self-determination. They both agree on that, yeah, Kurds should decide on their own political future. And it's not just Kurds. Everyone should, every different, all of the different groups should decide on their own political future. So they agree on sovereignty, but they don't agree on how this sovereignty can be realized, can be achieved. And beyond that too. Of course. And next questions come with that, right? right? I think that's important because it is very actually easy to converge these two things into one. The principle of supporting that the Kurds would decide on their political future will have their own sovereignty and how this sovereignty will be performed or realized. And in that sense, the support for 
the referendum, the support for independence in the referendum, as in it is the referendum form, cannot necessarily speak to the second question that well. It speaks mostly to the first question that the referendum basically brings the question to Kurtz that, do you want to decide on your political future or not? And of course they say that, yeah, we would like to decide on our political future. But this referendum, the referendum of independence, do not necessarily engage in these discussions of how you would like to perform this right or this self-determination. And there we see more complications and, and Completely things. Completely different strategies. Definitely. And in terms of the more concrete parts of the differences, yeah, definitely. On the one hand, we have much more like a traditional nation-state form, which is very open to the corruption and patronage, uh, clientelistic relations. At the same time, very open to the being integrated with the global capitalist system to get all these external funds and create sort of this booming economy basically based on these rentier revenues. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we have this political projection which is based on local production and consumption cooperatives, much more resistant and resilient against the global capitalist system. And I think when we think about these two systems, the first system, more like a traditional nation-state-like system, we see actual examples of that, and it is not that difficult to reproduce it. But it has many problems in terms of the creating inequalities, corruption, and, and other things. I mean, let's look at South Sudan or Eritrea. Yeah. These are the recent yeah. examples. Yeah. But when we come to the other political projection, another paradigm, we don't know what extent that ideals and that projection would actually act on the ground. And especially when we think about in that, I'm talking about the Syrian Kurdistan, the Rojava example, especially under the current threat to the territorial integrity of the region, Syrian Kurdistan, we might see that the Syrian Kurdish leadership can compromise on some of their ideals and political projections in exchange of a piece of security, territorial integrity, especially from the threatening neighbors. Speaking of threatening neighbors, let's delve into that. Let's start with the Iraqi regime. How did the Iraqi government respond? I know there were quite a bit of saber rattling before the referendum. What has been the response? Yeah, the Iraqi government harshly responded to the referendum and then its results. I think this reaction can be also understood in two sections. One is the reactions or the measures targeting the Kurdistan region, and the other one, the reaction and the measures targeting the disputed areas, or what Kurds call Kurdistani areas, the areas which have significant Kurdish populations, not necessarily majority, but significant Kurdish population, and which also happen to exist outside of the current Kurdistan region, and most prominently Kirkuk, because of its rich oil fields. So for the Kurdistan region, the first reaction is the central government asked Kurdistan region to withdraw from the border gates and let the control of the international air trafficking to the Iraqi central government back. They asked for control to be handed over to yeah, the Iraqi they, they asked to the, uh, hand over the international air traffic to central Iraqi government. And based on that decision, actually few regional states or regional airlines declared that they will stop their service because basically their right to land in and take off taken away or revoked by the central government, which is happening. But I'm not sure about uh, taking the control of the border gates. As long as the border gates are not 
blocked by the neighboring states. It is realistically more challenging for the Central-Lakia government to send its own customs officers and border security, border patrols to replace the Kurdish customs and uh, border security officers. When it comes to the reactions and measures against the regions outside of Kurdistan region, particularly Kerkük, they sacked the current governor of Kerkük, and they also planning to sack the whole parliament, the city parliament, and call for new city parliament in elections Kirkuk, yeah. in Kerkük. And Iraqi Prime Minister has said that they were in no mood to negotiate. Where do you think this is going? Well, I think Iraqi Kurdistan and the the Kurdistani areas will face some further pressure. Uh, but at some point, with some external brokerage, either from the regional powers or more global powers, I think they would come to a negotiation table and they started to negotiate and compensate on certain things. And this way, the negotiations will actually start happening. Because when we think about Iraq, I mean, I already mentioned the Iraqi Kurdish leadership's argument for exiting from Iraq and becoming an independent state. But for Iraq, uh, losing the Kurdistan is also important. I mean, definitely, Kerkuk with its oil and gas fields is a very valuable piece of land. But even without Kerkuk, if the current Kurdistan region decides to live in itself as it is right now, it would also be a significant loss for Iraqi government or Iraq because it is the most stable part of Iraq. Part of the timing of this referendum could be attributed to the fact that There might have been a concern on the part of the Kurdish leaders that once this issue of Daesh and ISIS in yeah. Iraq is resolved, But, yeah. then the Iraqi central government would be in a much better position. Yeah. So this may be the time to do this referendum now instead of waiting and allowing the Iraqi central government to have more control and get stronger. Sure, the Iraqi Kurds being an important partner in fight against ISIS. And with the ISIS being resolved, the Iraqi central government would definitely get much stronger position. So let's move to the northern neighbor of yeah. the Iraqi Kurdistan. Yeah. There are significant economic ties between Turkey and Iraqi Kurdistan that has had a more or less autonomous government. Nearly 80% of foreign investment in Iraqi Kurdistan still comes from Turkey. Turkish construction companies are building, or they used to be building more apartment buildings, schools, medical centers, commercial ventures, so forth and so on. Also, Turkish manufactured consumer goods are still pouring into um, the markets of Iraqi yeah. Kurdistan. Given these ties, Turkish government has made it clear that they're against this yeah. referendum. And what has been the reaction in the aftermath of the vote? In terms of the actual reaction from the Turkish side, the Turkish airlines declared that they will stop their service to Iraqi Kurdistan, but it is mostly based on the Iraqi central government decision. And Mr. Erdogan and other uh, officials from Turkey mentioned that they are considering to have an economic embargo through blocking or significantly restricting the traffic at the border gate, Habur border gate, as well as blocking uh, the oil pipeline which carries the Iraqi Kurdish crude to world markets. And that pipeline is the one that was secured through a separate contract between the Kurdish regional government and the outside companies. companies. So that was independent of Iraqi central state. Yeah. Also, they had some military maneuvers at the borders. Yeah, the military maneuvers at the border by Turkey started before the referendum. 
and it's still going on. And I think the day before the referendum, they also included a f- number of Iraqi soldiers mm-hmm. to give like a symbolic message that well, we can actually collaborate with the central Iraqi government. But what is interesting or funny in that case is that those Iraqi soldiers, they flew to Turkey to attend the operation. Again, in terms of the land access, as long as Kurds keep their positions in terms of the land access, I mean, if Turkey blocks its access to Kurdistan, it would also block themselves out of Iraq and the Arab world. And in that way, I think it's also important to think about the Syrian Kurdistan. Because in Turkey, there has been this talk of opening an alternative border gate to bypassing the Kurdish-run border gate or using the border gates through Iran or Syria to bypass the Kurdistan region whenever there was a crisis with Iraqi Kurdish leadership or Iraqi Kurdistan. Again, these days we see these talks of opening an alternative border gate and using the Syrian border gates to bypass the Iraqi Kurdistan. But right now they have a bigger problem there because that region mostly controlled by Syrian Kurds, which are actually... Closer to PKK, which they've been in fight against. And that's the sort of weakness of the Turkish reaction to Iraqi Kurds because the Turkish government has been cooperating with the Iraqi Kurds, particularly Mesut Barzani and KDP leadership, in order to counterbalance the PKK and its increasing influence in Kurdistan at large. But right now, with this reaction, they also have the risk of losing their main Kurdish partner, which would also undermine the Turkish leadership inside Turkey because in the last presidential referendum in Turkey, Mesut Barzani and his followers in Turkey supported the presidential referendum and Barzani-affiliated groups within Turkey did campaigns to support Erdogan in that referendum. So right now, Erdogan also faces the risk of losing further Kurdish votes inside Turkey with a harsh reaction against Iraqi Kurdistan and Mesut Barzani particularly. So class solidarity trumps ethnic solidarity that you may have. Yeah. Uh, basically, Barzani and his leadership, they have been going against PKK yeah. in Turkey because, as you mentioned before, their vision is radical and yeah. goes against leaderships like uh, Barzani's. And Barzani also feels that he might be threatened in terms of the electoral support in Iraqi Kurdistan by the PKK. Because on the street level, the support and the sympathy for PKK is really high in Iraqi Kurdistan too, especially with these critics of corruption and failing Iraqi Kurdish state mechanisms. And that's Dr. Firat Boschali speaking with Shahram Agamir about the September 25th referendum in Iraqi Kurdistan when people voted overwhelmingly in favor of independence for the Kurdistan region. We'll hear more after a short break. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. We just talked about Barzani's ties to Turkey, mm-hmm. financial ties and economic ties. This is in Erbil and the region controlled by them. 
And when you go to Soleimani in the east, and where Talibanis are traditionally strong, they have closer ties to Iranian regime, and they have mm-hmm. been. Iran has been vocal about their views on this referendum and saying that yeah. they are against it. They think it would lead into a sectarian conflicts and it would destabilize the region. What do you make of that, the Iranian opposition yeah. to this referendum? Yeah, Iranians also initially harshly reacted to that and they closed the border crossings, Hajj Umran uh, border crossing with Pranshir and Suleimani. And again, based on the central Iraqi government's decision, they also stopped the flights to Iraqi Kurdistan. But I think these reactions, both Iranian reactions and Turkish reactions against the referendum have their own weaknesses. Because of the fact that as long as the Kurds control this land, as long as Kurds maintain their territorial control, Kurds and the Kurdistan regional government continues to be a good ally on the ground, especially to counterbalance the other regional powers, for Iran to counterbalance Turkey and more like a Sunni-based political brotherhood. For Turkey, the same way against Iran and the Shia-based political connection. When you think about also the role of Israel in the regional politics Mm -hmm. and the U.S. involvement, for Iran, again, creating close relations with the Kurdistan region, either part of Iraq or as an independent entity, would counterbalance against the uh, U.S. involvement in the region as well as the Israelis. And I think we should not forget that we don't know how political situation within Iraqi Kurdistan change in time. We don't know for sure that Mesut Barzani will stay in power. We don't know for sure that Mesut Barzani will not change his mind. So, as you mentioned, PUK, Talibanis, and also the Goran movement may pursue developing some coalitions or cooperations with the Iranian government, especially with the Hajj Umran border gate. The border gate is very important because uh, functioning border gate means a lot in terms of the local economy. And some of the oil from the uh, area controlled by Talibanis yeah. is being shipped to Iran yeah. to Kermanshah refinery. Sure. And yeah, for the region, for the re- yeah. refined oil, the region has its own refineries too, but they've been right. also based on the neighboring countries for right. that. They're good economic allies, but also political allies. With this referendum, Kurdistan region as a unit becomes more valuable to keep as an ally for each regional power uh, as well as the global powers involved in the region. Just to conclude this thing about the regional powers Mm, which happen to have Kurdish population and that's one of the primary concerns. They're afraid of unrest within their own borders and the fact that this could be used as a model for their own Kurdish population a model based on self-determination, creating an autonomous region, or perhaps even creating an independent state. Given that, in Syria, the foreign minister of the Syrian regime came out and actually said that, in principle, they would support the idea of an autonomous Kurdish region in Syria. It is very interesting that we have this reaction from Syria. And when we think about this system, again, earlier I mentioned the Sadabad system, Yeah, I think this Kurdish self-determination is being more like an issue. And each country, each nation state 
if the fear of similar reaction or similar development may happen within my own borders. And when it comes to the Syria, as a center, they also lost their control and they're sort of like a failing center, which sort of trying to reappear as a strong center. And they reacted and they said, we can discuss the Kurdish autonomy in a way to preclude certain alternatives at the very beginning and limit the Kurdish self-determination in a certain way and using it also like a leverage for their own authority and legitimacy. So I think the Syrian case can be understood with the Syrian central government's its own weaknesses and the need, the desperate need for the international legitimacy that they try to garner through the Kurdish region. And definitely with the return of Syrian central government to the Kurdish regions in certain forms, as like through the autonomy agreement, would definitely put Syrian government in a much better position. But when it comes to the Turkey and Iran, I think we might expect similar reactions. It is up to those governments to decide whether they should take similar reactions or not. Because, as you said, the Kurdish self-determination will be an issue now in the region. And as long as each country or each central government try to take care of this situation through their own means, they can contain these claims, these demands, the self-determination claims within themselves. But as long as they don't do that and let it grow in itself or try to oppress it, the Kurdish demand for self-determination for each part become more internationalized and become more an international problem. I think for both Turkey and Iran now there is this choice to also take certain measures to act on before their own Kurdish problems get internationalized and put them in like a similar situation. Yeah, the question is, it's a de facto autonomous region in Rojava, Western Kurdistan in Syria, right? Mm. Are we going to take these statements on the face value? Because we know the balance of power dictates that at this point. If the central government in Syria becomes strong again, can it be trusted to honor these democratic aspirations? And the track records of these regimes show that they won't. It's always that issue of good Kurds and bad Kurds. So the Kurds who are undermining my rivals are okay. I can support them but I would not support the Kurds within my own boundaries, as was the case between the Syria, Turkey, Iran and Turkey, Iraq and Iran. That's the lesson we have to learn. Talking about Israel, Erdogan was very upset. He made these remarks about the referendum in Iraqi Kurdistan, and then at one point he said, you think Israeli flags can save you? (laughs) Because I saw some photographs with some rallies in Iraqi Kurdistan, that this one individual I saw holding a Kurdish flag on one yeah. hand and then another Israeli mm-hmm. flag. So obviously, Mr. Erdogan was alluding to those flags. There is this concern in the region, and some people, they bring up this concern that Iraqi Kurdistan, another Kurdish state, may become, as they describe it, quote-unquote, a second Israel in the region. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, Israel was allied with the Turkish state. Yeah. They were instrumental in capturing PKK leader Mr. Ojalan. But now, today, where are we at? In answering this question, we can think about what it means from the Turkish perspective, what Israeli support to Kurdistan means from Turkish perspective, what it means from Iraqi Kurdish perspective, from 
Iranian perspective and what it means from Israeli perspective. I think it helps because otherwise we can easily confuse them with each other because they have all different motivations and different contexts. You think about a Kurdistan, if there is going to be a country called Kurdistan, it's going to be landlocked and it's mm. going to be surrounded by Persians, Turks, and Arabs. Yeah. So put it in that context, is it even viable if you yeah. want to have an alliance with or some sort of yeah. a favorable view of Israel? Yeah, definitely. Actually, I think it's a good way to start answering this question and we can talk about the from Kurdish perspective. There was that picture and this one guy is having the Israel flag and I think it's two things. One is the Israelis said that they would support yes. if it's going to be independent. So it is at face value, it's a plus, right? It's a, it's a support. It's the only <laughs> support that they actually officially received. I think Saudis haven't been supporting oh, them I, too. I didn't notice, but I'm, I'm not, not sure, surprised. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there is that thing. It's the one thing. And the second one is in some more like a Kurdish nationalist imagination. Yeah, we have problems with Arabs, Turks and Persians. And in the Middle East, look who has problems with Arabs and potentially Turks and Iranian or Persians. Oh, then the answer is Israel. But actual politics don't work that way. And I think that the Iraqi Kurdish leadership also very well aware of that. And the Kurdish leadership at large, not just the Iraqi Kurdish one, are very well aware of that. But from the Kurdish perspective, yeah, I think the fact that the independent Kurdistan would be landlocked is a good starting point to think about the potential collaboration between Kurdistan and Israel. Yeah, I mean, Kurdistan would need an access across its neighbors. And in this situation, I don't predict a close collaboration with an, between Israel and independent Kurdistan, but I would predict a close collaboration between either Turkey or Iran with independent Kurdistan. And we would see which of these regional powers would become the supporters or the new ally of the Free Kurdistan, if we'll see a Free Kurdistan. I think we might also most likely to see a much more loosely organized federal or even confederal Iraq within which Kurdistan gets more powers and more authorities, again, and continue to be allied with either Turkey or Iran or both. I think that's what would happen with all these years of negotiations. But definitely, and when we think about this material connection between Kurdistan and Israel. I also know, and there's been this talk that there is this pipeline, this ancient pipeline between Kirkuk and Haifa, which is not been functioning. Right. And, it, and they might run it again, and it might connect with direct connection between Kurdistan and Israel if the Kirkuk is involved in Kurdistan. But still, that pipeline needs to go through the some part of Iraq, Jordan. and <laughs> So I don't think that it is that viable either. So from the Kurdish perspective, the Israeli support means something symbolically maybe but materially not that much so they need to focus on and they would focus on mostly with the central Iraqi government Iranian government and Turkish government to negotiate and to actually get certain advantages or leverages against them that's from the Kurdish perspective from Turkish perspective I think it also makes sense to identify this Kurdistan with Israel and to sort of take the political support of this anti-Zionism and also anti-Semitism to an extent in Turkey, which speaks well to Erdogan's current political position. And, and I, his base. And his base, There's definitely. a strong anti-Zionist sentiment pro-Palestinian. Definitely. But at the same time, when we look at, for example, how Erdogan uh, resolved this Mavi Marmara flotilla incident, sure. shows that he would not really challenge Israelis directly in any ways. He would seek any cooperation that he could get with Israelis. 
But again, in terms of the popular politics in Turkey, doesn't make Erdogan lose much. But use of this sort of anti-Kurdish uh, discourse bit identifying Kurdistan with Israel would make him to get credits from his base. From Iranian perspectives, I think a similar position appears to the Erdogan that it is easier right now to take position. But I would read these initial reactions as like initial positioning by the Turkish government and Iranian government to enter this cycle of negotiations with Iraqi Kurdish leadership and maybe to get a better position in their negotiations. And they would make Iraqi central government to do its best to put pressure, whatever pressure they could put on Iraqi Kurds. So on the actual negotiation table, they can have a better position to start with. From the Israeli perspective, which is, I think, the most interesting part of this question, yeah, why Israel supports Free Kurdistan, or why they said that they would support Free Kurdistan. I mean, they have good <laughs> relations with Turkey in terms of economic and other relations, and Kurdistan may not be like the really significant political, economic, military partner in the region. Would they need that as like a close ally? What I see from here is, I think it also makes sense for them to let it happen because it would make. Fragmentation. Exactly, fragmentation and keep all these regional powers occupied with these things. New conflict may arise. Exactly, new conflict may arise. They would more like focus on their own, especially the Kurdish cases. It's not just one country falling apart or turning into two countries because both Turkey and Iran has its own Kurdish populations. So such kind of an rearrangement, reorganization would definitely make Turkey and Iran busy with their own problems. And this complication would have this sort of potential to direct them away from Israel. Sorry. At first glance, that seems makes sense because it's also very cheap. I mean, Israel does not really need too much to do it. Well, Mr. Netanyahu, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but basically what he said was, unlike the way Turkey has relations to Hamas in Palestine, mm-hmm. We consider PKK a terrorist organization. We don't work with them. But he said that they do support the idea of self-determination on the part of Kurds. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. He might not have used the word self-determination. And it is remarkable that he would say that. And while he doesn't recognize self-determination for Palestinians and the statehood. (laughs) The self-determination works for Israel when they do and it stops when it comes to Palestinians. To wrap this up. We cannot leave without talking about the role of the United States. So the U.S. in general, they expressed their disappointment after the uh, Mm -hmm. referendum. And before that, they thought it would lead to conflicts in the region and sectarianism. And basically, they did not support the referendum. In Syria, they are forming this coalition with Kurdish PYD forces fighting against the Islamist Daesh, ISIS. They have also characterize PKK as a terrorist organization, of course, working with the Turkish government against them. Clearly, they have ties to the leadership of the Iraqi Kurds yeah. in Soleimani and Erbil. Where do you think the U.S. stand vis-a-vis this referendum and also the broader question of Kurdish state in yeah. the region? One thing is, for the U.S. perspective, an independent Kurdistan in Iraq is not a something that they would principally object to. But in terms of the real politics and practical situation on the ground, I think it is more important for them to keep Kurdistan part of Iraq. Because again, Kurdistan is actually an okay functioning part of Iraq. 
which the U.S. can rely on and which U.S. thinks that their cooperation and collaboration with the Kurdish regional government can be taken for granted for some time at least and with which they can counterbalance the Iranian influence on the central Iraqi government. So Kurdistan being part of the Iraq package makes more sense for the Iraq. And the second thing is it also provides logistical support center for the Kurdish forces in Syria, in addition to Turkey. So if there will be any disconnection or disagreement with Turkey on U.S. logistical access to Syria, Iraqi Kurdistan can become a stable and reliable access for the U.S. to Syria as well. So for U.S., definitely any threat against territorial integrity of Iraq is a big problem. But also uh, the territorial integrity of Iraqi Kurdistan as well, because with the independence, if there will be any military action against Iraqi Kurdistan from central Iraq or Iran or Turkey would also undermine the reliability of the Iraqi Kurdistan as a logistical base for the U.S., So this is why for the U.S. Totuko is actually the best way Mm -hmm. to go because it can counterbalance regional powers at the same time secure this sort of logistical base in the region. So I think that's the U.S. position. That's why they try to postpone the referendum. But the weakness of this strategy is that, and I think that's the problem of the U.S. politics recently regarding the region, in general they tend to postpone the problems. Okay, after we beat ISIS, we can't talk about that. You kick the can down the road. Exactly, exactly. They just keep postponing it, but it's not an alternative political view or it it does not reflect a clear-cut, well-tailored political vision or political strategy. That seems to be the problem at the U.S. side. I would predict that the U.S. will try to involve more in the negotiation table, in the talks between the Iraqi Kurdistan and central Iraqi government, and that they'll try to keep this conflict not evolve into an actual armed conflict that would damage territorial integrity of both Iraqi Kurdistan and also the central Iraq. What do you make of Russian government position? They yeah. basically supported the referendum. Yeah, and a Russian company signed a contract with Iraqi Kurdistan recently. I think Russians seem to be the actual winners at the back in <laughs> recent years in the region. First in Syria and now it seems to be in, in Iraq. And they might actually appear as a better brokering power for both Kurds, Iraqi Kurds, Central Iraqi government, Iran and Turkey than the U.S. We don't know how U.S. will try to counterbalance Russians in that way. But I think the Russians seem the actual winners of the region. Dr. Firat Bosjali has done extensive research on the political economy and geography of state formation in the Turkish border zones. He spoke with Shahram Agamir. You can listen to this interview in its entirety at vomina.org. From Pacifico Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa.
The southwestern port city of Boucher in Iran has been getting its share of attention in the Western media. The Boucher reactor is finally being switched on. Moscow has been helping Iran build the Boucher facility since 1995, but work has been delayed several times. Новосибирске готова к отправке в Иран первая партия ядерного топлива. В ближайшее время его доставят на атомную станцию в Бушере. But that is not the attention Boucher deserves. Perched on the edge of the Persian Gulf, this 2,000-year-old city has been a crossroad for different cultures to blend art, beliefs, food, and dramatically, music. The music of Boucher is a blend of the traditions of Iranian, Arab, African, and Indian rhythms, resulting in unique and vibrant melodies. The influences of this music can be seen and heard in all aspects of the life in Boucher, religion, work, and social events. Saeed Shambezadeh, a native of Boucher, founded Shambezadeh Ensemble at the age of 20. With a sarong wrapped around his waist and holding a lambskin Iranian bagpipe, Saeed dances bare-chested to a rhythm accompanied by the percussion section of Shambezadeh Ensemble. Even though Saeed Shambezadeh has been collaborating with modern dance companies. But first and foremost, on this stage, he tries to introduce audiences around the world to unique melodies and sounds of his hometown, Boucher. Saeed Shambezadeh has also done extensive research on the music of southern Iran, which has historically been preserved by oral traditions. We use the music for one ceremony. We don't call it music. We don't say it dance. For example, seamen, they are singing the work song in the mm. sea. They are seamen. They are not musicians. When one person singing in the religious ceremony, he is a singer of the religious ceremony. When one person play drum in the religion ceremony, he playing the dammam in the ceremony and one person singing and dancing uh, in the czar ceremony we mm. don't call it music w when we say music most of the people in iran in south in north in east west immediately they are thinking about the music of the what we play in the wedding they mm. call it music in south of iran in all the ceremony we have music and dance when i found this group I said to myself, you know, the music is not only what we play in the wedding ceremony. And um, I use all these repertoires, all these songs, I brought it on the stage.
And your music is amalgam of Arabic, African, Indian, Persian. Where do these influences come from? In, in Saudi Iran, all the people they was living together. We didn't have the class of the, in the society like black or white. This is the culture of Saudi Iran. People they married. They it, it was their life, and also that we should know that the the nature of this part of Iran. It's hot weather. There is a sea. We have the very energetic music, and it is not only because it is coming from Africa, but mm-hmm. we have an African root. You trace your own ancestry to Zanzibar in East Africa. In the 17th century, that's when they bringing the the black as a worker, not a slave, because the people they was Muslim. The black never was slave in Iran. They came from Zanzibar. They work like my mother's side. The father of my mother, he is root. was african my father's side no my father's side it is uh, iranian and baluchistan and arab mixed together and uh, like my face you know i don't have the african noise i don't have what i have i have dark skin and We don't have this word Afro, but there is African root, Indian, Arab, and Iranian. And from, for example, Loristan, Lori, in our accent, when we speak, we have many words from Lori language or Lori accent. It was the crossroad. Yes, it was a port city and it was Jewish. populated by various cultures. Yes, Christian, uh, Muslim, or Ashuri from Mesopotamia. Yeah, from Assyrians. Know. Yeah, and... Uh, Many people in Saudi Arabia was living together. There. So all of these different cultures are reflected in your music. Exactly. You founded your group in 1990, and yeah. you have been out of Iran for 10 years. Yeah. During the time that you were in Iran, how successful were you in introducing this music to other parts of Iran? Mm. The only thing that I had, I was sure about my culture, and I knew that. My musical culture, it's not smaller than the other cultural music like Iranian classic music or Western classic music. If you play piano and you play very, very bad piano, and if there was another person play sorna, one simple obwa is uh, the mother of obwa. One of the first Iranian instrument, it is the Nai of the happiness, Sur Nai. And he is a master. If you play piano or you play flute traversier, like Western classic flute, and another person play Sorna, and this flute player, he plays very bad. And he doesn't know classic music. But in the society, in Iranian society, it has more class because he plays Western instrument. If you play tar, or setar or Iranian classic music and another person from Khurasan he played dutar the tar player he has more because the tar it is the instrument that they presented in the in the big cities if one person play qopuz from Azerbaijan he cannot have the same place as one tar player in Tehran even he will so, be less so it is the first problem of the Iranian musician from different part of Iran and i challenged because i was sure about what I am doing. It was the big problem, and it is a big problem for many artists that live, for example, in Baluchistan, 
این آذربایجان، این کردستان، این مازندران، این گیلان Can you talk a little bit about instruments used in yeah. southern parts of Iran? First of all, why we say Bushehri music or Baluchi music or Kurdish music? We have uh, the rhythm and the scales. For example, in Bushehri music, we use the special scales. This is the important part. And after that, we use the instrument. It is helping the base of the, the melody. Like, for example, in Iranian classic music, They have the special scales, special ornamentation. Ornamentation. And in Bushehri music, we have our ornamentation. The instrument that we use also, it's helping us to be close to what we want to do. For example, Ne Anban, it is one kind Which of is the back back pipe. pipe, but it's very different of the Western back pipe. Or Ne Jofti, or... Nejofti is the double, double flute. Double flute. Neymuru or flute, uh, traditional or zarb tempo, dammam. Dammam is a two-sided yes. two percussion. Yeah. You can play also Boucheri music with the other instrument, but the Boucheri music has... Uh, its own, own characteristics. Characteristic, scale, intervals, rhythm. Hello, hello, Yamar. هله هله و یامار هله مردا به نازم هله مردای جنگی وله و یامار that uh, you play or the music of Boucher reflects the daily lives of people. You know, all of the music, all the root of all the different kind of music that exists in the world, it was like this. Mm-hmm. I traveled a lot in the, all the village that we had in the Boucher province and also I was working in the religion ceremony. In the I, I grew up in this, mm-hmm. but when I was 17 or 20 uh, years old, I said to myself, I should play it on a stage. To how I can use what I know. And uh, I try to going back to all the ceremonies and listening more and pay attention to the ceremonies. For example, we have a main singer, but there is many things around this. And I pay attention to all of this. And I try to bring all these elements and use all of them 
on a stage, it's it's not finished, it's not done yet. We just started. Said Shambazadeh is the founder of Shambazadeh Ensemble, an Iranian folk band from southern Iran. And that's it for us this week. Voices of the Middle East and North Africa is produced at KPFA Studios in Berkeley. To get in touch, you can call us at 510-848-6767, extension 632, email vomekpfa at yahoo.com, connect with us on our Facebook at Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, or follow us on Vomina Radio. Please join us next time for another edition of Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. Thank you.